We live in between Jesus' first and second coming. Then you've got this abomination that causes desolation, whatever that is, the Antichrist. Nobody knows who that's going to be. That person arises and does some things. Then you have this great tribulation. We said that word is squeezing. It's this uh, period of time before Jesus returns when kind of everything that's, there's just a squeezing. And evil gets worse, and those of us who are faithful will continue to be faithful to the end. Then you have these cosmic events, sun turning to blood, and moon turning dark, and stars falling out of the sky. Nope, who knows what that's going to be. And then Jesus returns. And last week we looked at the fact that Jesus says the timing of his return is unknown, and it will be unexpected. Again, so anybody who pegs a date, you can be guaranteed that they're wrong, because Jesus said no one will know. And by no one, he means no one. Not no one except for this one guy who happened to get it right. Everybody, it's unknown. And it's going to be unexpected. He said, I'm going to come at a time when you don't expect me. doesn't mean we shouldn't be prepared, and that's what we're going to look at today. But it does mean we can't know. So we said the question is not where am I on the Bible prophecy timeline. That's irrelevant. And when is Jesus coming back exactly? That, I'm not going to know that. The question for me is, am I being faithful to the end? That's what he says in Matthew 23. I think it's 14. He who is faithful to the end will be saved. And we want to be those who are faithful to the end. He said, you may have a different philosophy than me on kind of all these end times events. And that's fine. My perspective and what what I feel is biblical is that we're going to have to live through all of this. I don't think we get beamed up before any of the bad stuff happens. And so I want to prepare myself and do whatever I can to help prepare you to live through whatever that stretch of life is going to be like until either you die or Jesus returns. So today we want to look at two parables um, that explain what Jesus means when he says this. This is Matthew 24, 45. We closed with this last week. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? And we want to look at faithful and wise. Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food? at the proper time. The two parables we're going to look at explain what it means to be faithful and what it means to be wise. So we'll start in uh, chapter 25, verse 1. This is about uh, wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five for wise. That word wise is the same word we just saw in chapter 24. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he said, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. There again is that idea of that we we won't know the time of his coming. So the setup, what's going on here, uh, groom would go to the bride's family's house, go to the bride's parents' house, and the wedding ceremony would be there. That's the legal exchanging of vows. All of that would happen at the bride's house. And at some time after that, there would be a procession back to the groom's house for what we would call the reception, for this big 
feast, but there was, you didn't know exactly when that was going to happen. It was just sometime after the legal portion of the day, the, the, the wedding party would go to the groom's house. And so the bridesmaids, those were people who were close to the bride, their, part of their job would be, you've got to light the way. No street lights, no flashlights, no headlights on your cars. I mean, every, they needed lamps, torches to light the way so the wedding party could get from the bride's house back to the groom's house. In our story, it's late. It takes a long time. Everybody falls asleep. And then when it's time, five of the bridesmaids don't have enough oil. And you may say, well, that was pretty rude of the other ones to not share their oil. But again, if you think about, all right, I've got 20 minutes worth of oil here. If I give half to you, then I've got 10 minutes and you've got 10 minutes. If it takes more than 10 minutes for us to do this, then then, then nobody's got any light. It is pitch black, dark, and we're all sunk. So them saying no is not necessarily them being rude. It's these other folks aren't prepared. And so for us, what we're looking at is, well, what does it mean to be wise? What separated or differentiated the wise from the foolish? And you know what it is. It's preparation. The wise were prepared. They had enough oil to make it to the end. The foolish were not prepared. They didn't have enough oil. For whatever reason, they didn't have enough oil. They weren't well prepared. And that was the differentiating mark between the wise and the foolish. So for, if you think about even the, the, the picture here of this bridegroom coming late, we just said, you know, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know. And so it's, for some of us, this idea of being prepared, we're finish line oriented people. I don't know how many of you run. I don't. Um, you may. When I do run, I want to know exactly how far I'm going. Part of it is because I don't enjoy it, and I want to know how much longer I have to, to be miserable before I can be finished, but some of it is it's for pacing. You run different if it's 100 yards than if it's a mile, don't you? And some of us are finish line oriented people. You're that way at work. You want to know what's my deadline, and some of you don't do anything until a day before the deadline, but you get it done. It's difficult when we're talking about this scenario, being faithful to the end, when you don't know when the end will be. It's not about pacing ourselves in terms of loving God, I think, but there is this sense which it, this is open-ended commitment which can be difficult for some of us who are finish line or deadline driven people. How do I remain faithful uh, to the end? And that's kind of what we want to look at now. So what does this look like for us? It's a relational dynamic for us. The closest human relationship I can think of is marriage. For those of you who are married, you'll be able to make the parallel. And, and for those of you who aren't, I think you'll, you'll see the picture as well. On your wedding day, you make these grand pronouncements. I'm going to love you and honor you in sickness and in health and be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And it's that as long as we both shall live part. That's, it's uh, ambiguous in some ways. It's, it's open-ended. There's no, I don't know how long is that going to be. When I'm saying yes to you on this day, I don't know at what point either you or me is going to die. Is that a two-year commitment or a 20-year commitment? or a 60-year commitment. So I've made this commitment to love you and honor you and cherish you and all of these things, sickness and in health and better, worse, richer for poor, and the end date on that is death, which I don't know when that is going to be. Again, it's this open-ended commitment, a significant open-ended commitment, and that's what we see here in this parable. There's a significant open-ended commitment. It really doesn't matter that the foolish bridesmaids had enough oil at the beginning. The only thing that matters is they didn't have enough when it actually mattered, when it counted. 
They didn't have enough when it was time. It doesn't matter how long they were able to light the road. For 20 minutes, or they may have been out there for hours lighting the road. The only thing that matters at the end is, well, when the bridegroom actually needed the road lit, they didn't have their oil. Those of you who maybe you're involved in people who are with, with marriages on some level, you've got friends who are married, you hear some of these things. I talk to people who are married all the time, and one of the things that I see that causes um, breakdown in marriage is it's this idea of this open-ended commitment. People aren't prepared for that. I get married because I have all of this raging thing, emotion that says I love you and I'm going to die for you and all of these things, you know, the romance from the Hollywood movies and all of that is moving me towards this day. And then that fades at some point. And if I don't have a deeper underlying commitment, I'm not going to be able to make it till the end. And that lack of an underlying commitment then creates all kinds of opportunities for my marriage to fall apart. And the exact same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. It's this deep, significant, more significant than marriage, the most significant commitment we ever make. And it's deep and it's open-ended. What I've said to him when I said yes to him is, you're more important to me than anything. I'm going to base my whole life, we just sang it, my whole life is yours. Where you say go, I'm going to go. When you say stop, I'm going to stop. And what you say to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do that until either I die or you come back. And I don't know when either of those dates are on the calendar. And so for me, I'm going, I can't pace myself. And so if you look around at people in the church, a lot of times you see there's this waning of commitment over time. There's this weakening of relationship. People start strong and you've got all this zeal and all this fervor and all this passion and all this excitement and then over time life kind of happens and then you look up after for some of people it's a few years and for some people it's a few decades there's a a cooling off period with the Lord and that's what we want to try to avoid so what is that for us we can't be finish line oriented when it comes to standing firm to the end what we need are roots that are deep enough in Jesus that we can make it all the way. And so again, if you use marriage as a parallel, there's some things that you can do. And one of them is you don't look at the finish line because you don't know where it is. You stay married daily. That's the deal. I have to be married to Misty today. I don't need to be thinking about how long do I have to make this work. That's the wrong. I'm sunk if that's my approach. If I'm saying, God, when is one of us going to die so I can pace myself here in terms of loving her? And it's not about pacing myself. Well, in sickness and in health. Well, I did it in sickness last week, and I've got to save some of the in sickness for the future. So you don't feel good today. I'm going to pass on loving you in sickness today because you used all those points last week. You can't do that. There has to be this daily sense of, all right, this is her, and these are the commitments that I've made, and these are the vows that I've made, and so I've got to be married to her today. And the same thing is true. In our relationship with the Lord. We've said marriage is like a three-legged stool. And you need all three legs. You need intimacy. You need passion. And you need commitment. And you can apply all three of these things to your relationship with Jesus. You need all three of these things every day. Commitment is concerned with your will. That's just the fact that you made a choice at some point. You made a choice to follow him. And you need to make that choice every day. That's the commitment part of you. And that says regardless of how I feel. Regardless of consequence. Regardless of circumstances. I'm in. 
That's commitment. It's my will saying, again, I've made a decision. As a free human, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to follow him today. Intimacy, that's your mind and your heart. That's, kind of, that's the relational piece, if you like. That's saying, he, that's, that's letting God in. And you say, well, he already knows everything about me. He absolutely knows everything about you. But he wants you to tell him. He wants access to your heart. He wants access to your mind, the good, the bad, and the ugly. A lot of us have filters, and we only bring to God the things that we think are acceptable to him. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for unfettered access into our hearts and into our minds. Again, good, bad, and ugly. He wants to know the areas where you're thriving, and he wants to know the areas where you're confused and doubting and struggling, and he wants access to all of those things. And he wants you digging into him as well. Just like in any relationship that, you're, that you have, one of the ways you develop deeper roots is you open yourself up and allow people into your heart And then you get into theirs as well. You dig into them. And God wants that from us. One of the reasons getting in the word is so important. That's where he reveals his character to us. That's one of the ways that your roots will go deeper in him as you get to know him better. And then passion, that's kind of the experiential element of relating to God. God is real. And he's a person. And he desires to be in a relationship with us. One of the reasons we do worship the way we do is because we want you to think feel God. We want you to experience or encounter him in worship. And there are other places that you can do that. But corporate worship is one of them. And all three of these elements are necessary. You need all three of these things if you're going to develop deep roots in Jesus. If you want to stand firm till the end, then you've got to have deep roots in him. And if you want deep roots in him, then all three of these pieces need to be there. And many of us, we tend to really do well at one of these. It's just how we're bent. Like I'm a commitment guy. So that first one for me, I can commit all day long and just kind of by sheer willpower or stubbornness or whatever you want to call it, I'm in. I don't have a heart, so the rest of those things for me are difficult. For some of you, you're on the other end. You're all, you know, butterflies and rainbows and you feel the experiences and you're, oh, I sense this and... And that's wonderful. And you get the little electric feelings when you're in the presence of God and all the tingly stuff. And all of that is great. And you're as flighty as the day is long. And it doesn't, there's not a, there's not, when you don't have the feeling, then you're out. You start thinking something's wrong or you go find something else where you can get that feeling. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of relationships fall apart. We talk about being in love, and so then when we get out of love and we get in love with somebody else, we see that as, an, as a reason to break commitment. And it's not, neither one is more important than the other. I don't want to say that, but all three of them are important, and again, are equally important, and it's important for you to know which one do you stink at? Which one of those doesn't come easy to you? Which one of those is not natural? And that's where you're going to have to be even more intentional and kind of daily relationship with him if you're married it's probably the same thing and you probably need to be daily intentional in that area with your spouse as well but the same and it's also true in your relationship with the lord which of these areas do you need to be focused on more than the other because it doesn't come naturally to you so we want to be we want to be wise which is being prepared the people who were foolish they just they didn't take their responsibility seriously enough that's what it got down to. Wisdom says if my job is to have a, light, a, a torch when the groom comes, 
then what I should do is say, what's the latest, when is the sun coming up? I've got to have a light until the sun comes up. If he comes before that, it's great. The worst thing that happens is I has, if I, I've got some oil left over. But I just need to know how long it's going to be dark, and I need to have enough oil to light the torch for that entire period of darkness. They just didn't take their responsibility seriously enough, and the consequences were devastating. Verse 14, now we're going to look at what does it mean to be faithful. The word that you'll see faithful in this parable is the same one from Matthew 24. Again, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five went at once and put his money to work and gathered five more, so also the one with the two gathered two more. But the one who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained you two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that you harvest that, where, that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we got two servants who are faithful and one's not. This, this parable is very self-explanatory. Pretty obvious what's going on here. You've got a master. He gives some money to his servants and says, make something of it. Two of them do and one of them doesn't. So what I want you to notice, two things. One, not everybody starts with the same thing. One guy gets five, one guy gets two, one guy gets one. And the same thing is true of us. We all don't have the same tools in our tool belt. We don't, our backpacks don't have the same stuff in them. For some of us, that causes some um, envy. We look at others and see what they have and say, well, why wasn't I given this or that or the other? My encouragement to you is to stop looking at what you don't have and begin to invest what you do. That's what God is going to hold you accountable for that. He's not going to hold you accountable. He doesn't ask the guy with one talent to do the same thing that the guy with five has. And that's kind of the second point is God, he rewards the process, not the results. If you notice, the wording is exactly the same. It's identical. He says the same thing to the five-talent guy as he does to the two-talent guy. You may say, well, they both doubled their money. But, again, what he's, what he's rewarding there is the process of their investment, not what they actually give back to him. One guy gives back ten, and the other guy gives back four. And according to this, their reward is exactly the same. It's identical. The words are verbatim. And so, if, wherever you want to put yourself on the spectrum, if you want to say you've been given one or two or five or 20 or however many talents you think you've been given, that's wonderful. 
for us, what does it look like to be faithful? It means to be good stewards. It means to invest what God has given us in a way that brings glory and honor to him. That's what being a good steward is. There's two components of stewardship. One is is a recognition that what I have is not mine. It's been given to me by another. And the second is to say, because what I have has been given to me by another, my responsibility is to do with it according to my master's wishes. It's not mine to do with whatever I want. He's given it to me. And so ultimately, he's going to be the one who judges what I've done with it based on his desires, his character, and his wishes. That's what it means to be a steward. It's to say, okay, Drew's given me $20, and as a steward of that, then I need to take, I don't need to spend the $20 like I'm David. I need to spend the $20 like I'm Drew. What does Drew want me to do with it? And that's ultimately what matters because it's his money, not mine. There's an interesting passage in 1 Chronicles 29. Jesus is, or David, is gathering the Israelites to build the temple for the first time. And everybody's bringing all kinds of stuff. David gives massive, massive, massive amounts of money, of his personal wealth. And then he says, anybody else who wants to give can. And I think it's in verse 14 or 16 or something like that. I think it's 14. When David is praising the Lord, he says, everything, thank, he says, everything that we've been given is stuff that you've given us. All we're doing is returning to you stuff that you've given to us. That's an interesting perspective on talents. Do I see this, that everything that I've been given, is, everything I have is ultimately a gift from God? And when I invest it back into the kingdom, I'm just giving him back what was his in the first place. Or do I see this stuff as mine? All of this is mine. I've earned it. I've made it happen. And so anything I give back to God is basically me being generous to him. Here's my charity that I'm giving to you, God. If that's a percentage or an amount or however I justify that in my mind. Or do I say everything that I've been given is yours anyway? And I'm just giving it back to you. You've been in church, some of you, long enough. They talk about the three T's. You've got to love alliteration, time, talent, treasure. Easy way to look at this. If you want to talk about being a steward, look at those three areas. Treasure's the easiest. That's your money. It's the easiest thing in the world to gauge. Just where's it going? This is a hard standard. I was thinking about this this morning. Do I spend my money like Jesus would if he were in my shoes? I honestly don't want to ask myself that question at all. Because what if the answer is no? Then my choices are, all right, well, I'm going to be disobedient and do whatever I want. Or I have to change the way I spend my money, which I don't want to do either. It's a difficult standard to hold out there. But that's what it means to be a steward. If it's his, then am I spending my money the way he would spend it if he were in my shoes? Now, that presupposes that I actually know how he would spend it. So the first thing for me is, do I know Jesus well enough to actually know how he would spend money? If your initial response is, well, he wouldn't keep any for himself, and I've got to go live in a tent under a bridge, you probably don't know him that well. And there's, got to, there's, a, there's a deeper answer there in terms of how he would spend. But that's a question for us. And you look at your talents. God's given all of you strengths. We talk about strength finders in here all the time. If you've never taken it, you need to come to, come to fit. And we'll run you through it. Some of you have an incredible ability to make people feel welcome and at home. And so the question is, well, do you use that to bring glory to God or not? Some of you have an incredible mind and you can creatively solve all kinds of problems. Well, do you use that for the glory of God or not? Some of you have this deep level of compassion and empathy for other people. You feel how other people feel and you can engage with them on a heart level, and they, feel, they don't feel isolated and alone, but they feel understood and loved. 
Do you use that for the glory of God or not? Some of you are super smart, and you can take very complex concepts and distill them and give them to people in a way that they understand. Do you use that for the glory of God or not? It doesn't mean you have to be a full-time missionary or work in a church. It just means do you recognize the gifts that you've been given? And is there any way in which you could say, yeah, I'm investing these things in the kingdom. I'm using these the way Jesus would use them. If Jesus was like me, if he had this, these same gifts that I have, this is how he would use them. Does that even enter your mind? Does it ever enter my mind? If Jesus had the same talents that I have or the same resources that I have, would he use them the way that I do? And then you have time, which I think is actually the hardest for us. It's our most precious commodity. Do you spend your time the way Jesus would if he were you again? That's a, that's a question a lot of us don't want to ask. Does that mean you can never watch another college football game? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus never had fun. Does it mean you can't watch 15 hours of college football on Saturday? It may mean that. I don't know. But you've got to ask. You've got to ask. And I think for some of us, this is, it's interesting. The thing that kept the wicked and lazy servant from being obedient, from being a good steward was fear. What does he say? I was so afraid. Wicked and lazy, that word lazy means hesitant or timid. He was afraid, and so he didn't do anything. He buried what he'd been given. And I wonder for us how many of we're afraid. We're afraid that we're not going to, we're afraid. If I asked Jesus, how would you do this if you were me? I'm afraid of his answer, which means I don't know him very well. It means I think he's a harsh taskmaster, or it means I think I can't trust him with myself or with my wife or with my kids or with my business or with my future. And because I can't trust him, the last thing I want to do is say, what would you do if you were me? Because I think what you would do if you were me is going to be bad for me. And I think my plan is better. It's fear. It's what kept this servant from actually doing what his master expected of him. And the same thing, if you get all the way down to it, that's what it is for us. We're afraid. And that's why we don't even engage on this level of investment. We talk about these seven walls of influence all the time. God has put you on one of them. One of these places is an area where you're called to work. You may look and say, I, I, I actually have an occupation in one of these areas. You may have a heart that's drawn to one of those areas. And I would just ask you with no guilt at all, would you say, yeah, in that area, I'm investing. I'm investing in a way that if Jesus were to come back and say, hey, what have you done with what I've been given? You could say, here, I've been working in this area. And this is what I've done with what you've given me. This is how I've used the time that you've given me. And here's how I've used the skills and the relationships and the resources and the money. Here's how all of the stuff that you've given me. This is, I, as best as I knew you, this is what I thought you would want me to do. And here's what I've done. Remember, he rewards the process not the results. You may say, I haven't doubled anything. Don't even worry about that. What I'm asking is, does the message of the kingdom have roots that deep enough in you? If you want to stand firm to the end, you've got to have deep roots in Jesus. If you want to be a good steward, then the message of the kingdom has to have deep roots in you. Remember the parable of the soils? In the good soil, how much does the seed produce? Is it double? 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. You don't need to worry about the results. The kingdom is powerful. If it gets roots deep enough in you and if you'll just be faithful in the places that God has put you to invest 
You've got to figure out what that looks like on a regular basis. What does it look like for me to invest? There will be fruit. He'll see it. You may not. He'll see it, and he'll reward you for the process. Two questions as we close. Are you wise? Are you faithful? Asked another way, are you prepared and are you productive? Are you being a good steward of what Jesus has given to you? And are you, uh, do you have the relationship with him where you can stand firm till the end? Two questions in particular. If you place yourself in that first parable, some of you may say, I've been waiting a long time for something. And my encouragement to you, or my question for you is, do you have enough to persevere? Or are you going to quit? You're, it's, been a, it's been a long time, and I'm not going to say that it hasn't. And I don't know when he's coming into that situation in your life. According to this parable, you can trust that he will, but I don't know when. Are you going to give up, or are you going to stand firm to the end? Second question, again, you've been placed somewhere. Are you investing in that place? Or has fear kept you from doing that? Well, if I give this, then I'm not going to have blank. Let's pray. God, we want to be faithful and wise servants. That's what you're looking for, and that's what we want to be. God, I thank you that our relationship with you is based on what you've done for us. It's based on the cross, the finished work of Jesus. So we don't have to earn your favor. We don't have to earn our way into the family. We don't have to sing for our supper. And at the same time, God, you say, here's what it looks like to be in the family. I want you to make it all the way to the end. And we want to do that. So, God, I pray that we would have roots that are deep enough in you. That when the squeezing starts, whatever that looks like in our life, when the squeezing starts, we wouldn't bail. And God, we want your kingdom to have deep enough roots in us that it produces fruit everywhere we go. In our families, in our neighborhoods, our schools, our businesses, in our community. God, I pray that when we look back over our shoulder with no arrogance, with no pride, we would see fruit. You say you're, the, the prayer is that we would bear fruit in every good work. And so, God, I pray for every one of us, even down to the kindergartners sitting here today, that they would have roots that are deep enough in you to stand firm to the end and that they would, they would bear fruit in every good work, that they would be good stewards of everything that you've entrusted to them. Right on through to the oldest person here. Same thing. Deep roots in you and you having deep roots in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with worship. We'll have ministry teams up here in the corners. We'd love to pray with you about anything that you have going on, but those two things. One, if you've been waiting for something for a long time, we just want, we'll just, we're just going to pray for God to meet you in your waiting and that you would persevere in that. And this other thing, if you're going, I'm not sure either where I need to be investing or if I'm investing, just we, we'll just pray for you in that area as well, that you would be a good steward of everything that God has given to you. So you guys can stand up, and Bo will dismiss us when we're done.